Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign for ever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them... I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. And the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit said, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Good morning. I'm Jake, part of the church family here, but also a ministry trainee. If you don't know what that is, you could ask me later. And I'll try and explain. Uh, on the back of your service sheet, you'll find a handout, an outline of where we're going, if you'd like to follow along as we look at Revelation chapter 22. Let's pray. 
Our Father, please help us as we look at your word together. Teach us, help us to understand, help us to grapple with what you say. Open our eyes, help us to see. And Father, we pray, please, that you would change us and help us to live more and more for your glory, especially as we approach Christmas. Amen. Well, Christmas is coming. It's nearly here. Advent calendars full of chocolate, if you're allowed. Lizzie doesn't let me have one. End of term plays, Christmas holidays, trees up, lights on, putting present lists together. Friends, family, too much food, all the mince pies you can eat, and all that wonderfully average Christmas music. Uh, Then Christmas morning comes and it's all stockings open, seeing everyone at church, yummy Christmas lunch with pigs in blankets and sprouts and more food than you can eat in a week, let alone one meal. Then it's presents open, the Queen's speech, the Christmas walk, the Christmas film, the family game, uh, before eventually heading to bed at some time, and then it's Boxing Day and... Oh... Is that it? Was, was that it? And the pile of presents we maybe didn't even need stares at us and the pile of rubbish is even bigger and who's going to take the bins out and who's going to do the washing up and oh, back to normality, whatever that is. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Christmas, but is that not often our experience on Boxing Day morning? And I wonder if it's sometimes something of the Christian experience too. Jesus, yes, a saviour, how I need him. Sins forgiven, what relief, eternal life, what a joy. Praise the Lord. And then affliction comes. And persecution comes. And we're knocked back by sin and suffering. And is this it? Is is this it? And how will we keep going then, living for Jesus when that feeling comes? When it all feels too much, when we feel like giving up, when sin is too hard to fight and when persecution comes, when it's easier really to drift and take our foot off the pedal, how will we keep going? Well, we'll keep going as we heed the call of Advent and of Revelation 22, and the whole book even of Revelation. See, popular opinion dictates that Advent is all about Jesus' coming down to earth as a baby. But actually it's about looking ahead to his return. So Advent and Revelation chapter 22 invite us to lift our eyes to the horizon and see in the distance Jesus is coming. The book of Revelation is given to John in a vision of God to encourage him and Christians to keep going, whatever the cost, however big the opposition. If you're around over the summer, you might remember that we looked at chapters 2 and 3 in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. The consistent refrain of those letters as Jesus spoke was keep going, press on, overcome the pain and the trials, with me. 
And through the rest of the book of Revelation, John gets a glimpse of the battle that wages between Satan and God. And at times it looks like Satan is going to win, but in reality, he is totally flattened, locked up and restrained. In chapter 12 of Revelation, Christ defeats Satan, and in chapter 17, he completes his triumph over evil. Then through chapters 19 and 20 and 21, we get a glorious glimpse of the new world Jesus is bringing in, and we see a vision of the severity of God's judgment on evil and wickedness. And then we land here in chapter 22, the last pages of the Bible wrapping up God's word with a final call, a reminder from Jesus to Christians everywhere, I'm coming soon. Have a look at verse 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. It's there in verse 12 over the page. Behold, I'm coming soon. And in verse 20, surely I'm coming soon. Just around the corner, just on the horizon, Jesus is coming. Now God is active and at work in our world, healing, restoring, answering prayers, calling people to himself. But on the grand scale, the big picture, if we were to take a step back and see, the next thing on God's plan of salvation is Jesus' return. No one knows when. He'll come like a thief in the night. And until he comes, we're experiencing God's patience as he gives people time to trust Jesus. Jesus is coming, which is great comfort to weary, persecuted Christians. Like whispering to a hurt toddler desperate for mummy. It's, it's okay. She, she's coming, I can see. She's just there. She's coming. And so through all, all of life, in ups and downs, and especially when facing suffering and persecution, if we're to keep going, we need to hear Jesus' words. Verse 20, surely I am coming soon. And at Christmas, rather than be distracted by details and focus solely on friends and family, each day we remember the baby of Christmas. He grew up. He died on the cross. He rose from the tomb. He ascended to heaven and he will return soon. And he isn't coming aimlessly. On his return, we need to know what he brings. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. When he returns, he will bring with him his recompense, which means he will bring with him what is due to people based on what they have done. To some, he will bring reward, entry into God's city by the gates. To some, he will bring punishment, 
They'll be left outside, barred from entry. And notice verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the judge. He's coming to bring judgment and to bring salvation. And though it will happen simultaneously, we're going to have a look at each in turn. Jesus is coming soon in judgment. You might have noticed the similarities in our two readings, Genesis 2 and Revelation 22, the garden, the river, the tree, the fruit, the general goodness and beauty. If we'd had a third reading, though, we'd have read through Genesis 3 as well. As Adam and Eve mount rebellion against God's rule and seek to crown themselves. They eat from the tree of good and evil and they and the world are plunged into judgment. And God pronounces curses on the serpent, on Adam, on Eve and on the world. And he banishes them from the garden where they have no access to God, no right to the tree of life and no right to the river of life. From then on, our world has been marked by curse and death and separation from God. And we see the symptoms of such a fall as we look around and see our struggle to striving to outdo each other, our striving to grab power and our selfishness. We all follow in Adam and Eve's footsteps, seeking to be in charge And by our nature, we're all outsiders to God, apart from him and away from his presence. As we read chapter 22, verse 15, we may not worry that we are in danger as we consider sorcery or murder, but we could all be found guilty of sexual immorality or guilty of idolatry, putting other things before God. And so the bleak reality is, as Jesus comes to judge, left to our own devices, we are, verse 15, outside of God's city. And we're headed for hell. A place Revelation 21, verse 8, describes as a lake burning with fire and sulfur. It's not pleasant to talk about. It's horrid to consider. We squirm at the idea of judgment, don't we? But we all do desire that justice be done. We do want evil and wickedness to be punished, rightly and fairly. We just don't want it to include us. But God is too holy and too right and too good to simply sweep under the carpet even the slightest evil. It will be punished and it will include us. So here in Revelation 22 and all through the Bible, God lovingly warns about the future we're heading for. Like a huge danger road sign encouraging us to turn back. And in verse 10, God is making sure that everyone has access to the truth. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy. He doesn't want anyone to miss the signs. So the Bible and the book of Revelation are to be shared widely and everywhere so that people know the time is near. 
And then the time will come when Jesus will return and God will. Verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Jesus is coming soon to judge and eternal futures will be fixed in place. It's a stark reality. Judgment. But praise the Lord, there's more to say. Much more. Jesus is coming soon in judgment and in salvation. And what glorious salvation it will be. Who for? For the religious, the well-behaved, those who earn it. No, simply verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And that doesn't mean the people who have cleaned themselves up. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14 makes clear those that enter salvation are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so as he dies on the cross shedding his blood he takes the punishment for our evil and wickedness on himself in our place as our substitute. God doesn't just tell us our sin and rebellion doesn't matter and let us in. No, he himself comes to save in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the incarnation is the wonder of Christmas and the cross is the joy of Easter. And it means that everyone who trusts Jesus is washed clean and will enter the new creation when Jesus comes soon. So it's true, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. But if we're too quick reading chapter 22, we'll miss the significance of the promises in verse 14. Have another look. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. These are actually staggeringly beautiful words and I hope we'll see something of how wonderful they are as we have a look at Verses 1 to 5, back over the page on 1251. See, John's God-given vision picks up on lots of Garden of Eden images. We saw them in Genesis 2. They were lost in Genesis 3. But now, here in verses 1 to 5, the promise of a whole new world, a restored creation, an utterly vibrant world full of life and light and God's presence. Verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. In the middle of this new creation, a pure life-giving river flowing straight from God's throne giving life to everything. And verse 2, second half of verse 2. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The tree last seen in Genesis 3, the tree that we do not have access to, the tree on your handout, Genesis 3 verse 24, that God drove men away from 
and guarded with flaming sword so they couldn't reach it. That tree is here. And God's people will eat of it endlessly. Just picture the abundance and life as this amazing tree bears all kinds of incredible, vibrant fruit every month, all year round. And even the leaves of the tree bring healing to nations. Verse 3 is incredible, have a look. Because from Genesis 3 onwards, everything is cursed, from childbirth to farming to snakes, throughout the world and every generation. Conception, birth and life are marked by death, decay and destruction. But look at verse 3. In this new world, no longer will there be anything accursed. The most vicious, painful, relational moment you've ever seen or experienced. No more of those. No more war or conflict. No more coffins flown back from war-torn countries. Every trace of evil and sin and suffering, gone. Just imagine it. No more tears, no more cancer, no more corruption or abuse. No more loneliness. No more dementia, no more mental health issues. A world renewed, out of bondage into freedom, out of decay into glory. Why? Because the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And where God is, those things cannot exist. And instead of our misdirected affections for the Lord, all of his people will worship him perfectly. And then notice verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence. Moses, the great man of God, could not look upon God's face without perishing. Even majestic angels in Isaiah had to hide their eyes from him. And yet here, in this new world, we'll see God's face. It's an intimate thing, isn't it? To look upon somebody's face. We find it quite awkward sometimes. And then we turn away. But we will look on our maker's face with great joy. We'll see him face to face. And as a mark of our belonging, his name will be on our foreheads. Forgive the futility of this example, but in Toy Story, Andy, the main character, he writes his name on the shoe, on the sole of the shoe of all of his toys. As a sign, a symbol, these, they belong to me. I love them, I want them, they're mine. And here, the Lord that we see face to face, the Lord of the entire universe, marks us with his name to say, you belong. And verse 5, night will be no more. 
They'll need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That darkness in the Bible is often a sign of God's judgment or absence. But in that great future city, where we'll dwell with God, there'll be no need for lamps. There'll be no darkness for anyone to hide in, no nooks and crannies of scare. We'll see because he will light everything with his radiance and goodness. And the end of verse 5, we will reign forever and ever. A ruling this new creation with delegated authority, not puppets of worship, but rulers under God of this new creation. This is Eden re-established and some. So indeed, verse 14, over the page. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. I wonder if our view of heaven and the new creation is a bit small and weak. We joke about angels and clouds. And we know it won't be like that, but we struggle to imagine. Do you see here the beauty and goodness of life with God? Seeing his face forever. It's so much bigger and better and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Perhaps the prospect of Jesus' soon return doesn't keep us going because we simply struggle to think about it at all in lovely Dulwich. Maybe we're too content here with what we have. Maybe C.S. Lewis was right when he said, slightly paraphrased, we are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we just can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. I see John's vision of the future in chapter 20 and 21, which I'd encourage us all to go away and read, and his vision here in verses 1 to 5 of this new future is designed to whet our appetite, designed to get our pulses racing a little, designed to wake us up and keep us going, longing for Jesus' return. If we're those who have washed our robes, this is our future. We're blessed. And we're to long for that day when Jesus returns, all the time saying with John in verse 20, Come, Lord Jesus. But as we wait, we're to hold out Jesus' promise of salvation to others, inviting others to come. That's what we see in verse 17. The Holy Spirit and the bride, that's the church, and everyone who hears and responds are to say to whoever will listen, Come, come to Jesus and eat from the tree. Come to Jesus and drink of the river of life. Come. It might be you're here this morning and you've never come to Jesus. Come today. Let the stark reality of judgment prompt you. Let the goodness and wonder of salvation draw you. If you're thirsty for life in all its fullness with God, come to Jesus. Verse 18 and 19, 
explain there's nothing more to say. Warns against adding or taking anything away. This book is complete. It's all here. John's delivered his vision. The present has been explained in earlier chapters. The promises of the future are set out. Salvation and judgment are made clear. And Jesus says, verse 20, I'm coming soon. So how will we keep living for Jesus when it all feels too much? When persecution comes our way or suffering is hard to bear? We lift our eyes to the stunning future promised. And we listen as Jesus calls, I'm coming soon. And together, whether we whimper or we shout for joy, we say with longing, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, as we head into Christmas, as we get swamped by cards and presents and deluged with mince pies and pigs in blankets, as we spend time with family and friends, we pray, please, that you would distract us from all of those things with the prospect of Jesus' soon return to judge and save. Help us, we pray, to hold on to him, to long for his return, and to keep going until he comes. In his name we pray and for your glory, Father. Amen.